If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. So I'm Wendy and my daughter is Sophia and my daughter's in sixth grade and she was diagnosed at 22 months. Mm -hmm. And we received an email today from the school nurse and one of her teachers was saying that she should be responsible or old enough to dose for her snacks throughout the day without any guidance from the nurse. And, you know, on the one hand, she is a creature of habit. She has the same thing every day um, for a snack and for lunch. And then, but her school day isn't the same. So she'll go to PE some days and It's a block where sometimes they only have four schedule classes and sometimes they have eight classes. So everything kind of varies when she's eating the times of day throughout the week. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, she's very responsible. She likes to talk things out. And but they feel like we're babying her by asking for this support from the school to, you know, check in and make sure she's being dosed properly. And they feel like we should really let her take on this responsibility on her own. So I'm just kind of wanting to learn a little more from you. At what point do you let them dose on their own without talking things out first? Mm-hmm. Good question. Thanks, Wendy, for coming on. Um, I guess I want to push this back to you a little bit and ask you, what do you feel like Sophia is ready for? Right? Do, do you have some feeling that she should? I'm putting should in big quotes there, by the way. I don't actually think there's a should here, but we'll get to that in a second. But I'm wondering what you think she's ready for. Like, does, does the school, when the school says this, does it reverberate like, yeah, she should or, or she's ready? Or does it feel like, oh, no, I don't think so? I guess it's so hard to know, right? I mean, of course, we want her to keep taking on more and more independence. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to let go when, you know, we want her to stay healthy and happy and feel safe and supported. So, you know, she is showing increased independence. She's a little anxious. She wants something, you know, somebody to check in with her regularly. And so just sort of dropping the support feels kind of overwhelming, I think, definitely to her and a little bit to us, even though we could probably, you know, take some steps to to be on the way to support mm-hmm. her more in a more independent way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you just answered a lot of the question right there, right? So your gut feeling <laughs> is you're not quite ready, which is super important, even though the school is talking about it in terms of Sophia, like we have to also pay attention to the whole system, which includes you, of course, as a very important player. And you're saying Sophia is not quite ready. So there may be some steps along the way that you could take to get her to more ready, possibly, but it sounds like the school is pushing for that, not you. So I would say, yeah, I would say there's no should here, right? Kids are super, super different and there's no, um, 
correct path to independence around diabetes management. They're going to have to do this their whole lives. And it's really not a job they should, should, here's where should actually is real. They shouldn't do it themselves. They need to be well supported. Um, I guess some of the question I have is not only what do you want and what does she want, but what kind of battle do you think you have with the school? Like if you say, no, she's not ready, we're not ready. Is the school going to be respectful of that? I mean, I think I want to go in with a pretty specific alternate proposal so that they can't push back as much. Um, You know, wondering what, from your perspective, maybe some of those intermediate steps might be along the way to say to them, well, can we first do this? And then maybe we'll graduate to another step of um, how they check in so that we don't feel like, you know, sort of the rug was just pulled out from under us. But it is healthy for our our kid who's going to be living on her own, unfortunately, before we know it, um, to be kind of out there in the world being able to manage this. But, you know, she's still, she's just in sixth grade and, Mm -hmm. you know, she's still young. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if you have thoughts on kind of steps that might make sense to request so that when we go into the, with the school, I don't think it'll be a battle if we can say, what if we do X, Y, and Z? I'm just not sure what to request. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Your child was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in the last year, and you're still struggling with a feeling of mourning the loss of your healthy child. Sound familiar? If so, Sweet Talk's After Diagnosis Coaching Course was created with you in mind as a space to work through some of the emotional issues that come in the first year after your child was diagnosed, including that feeling of mourning. If you're ready to reduce the emotional impact of type 1 on your life, check out www.diabetessweettalk.courses. Okay, so let's back up a little. You've said two things that I think are important. One is she's going to be living on her own before we know it. Yes, and you have about six years, you know, five and a half to six years. That's a really humongous developmental jump. So I don't think you need to be super anxious that, you know, she's heading off into the world on her own and doesn't know how to do this. Actually, I want to flip that over in her talking it through with the adult. What she's doing is practicing internalizing something that feels important, right? So it sounds like she feels really comfortable, like thinking out loud. And I think that that's really important. Does that, am I getting that right? Definitely. Yes. She is a thinker out louder for sure. Okay. Processing verbally. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Great. Sounds like you know her very well. (laughs) So I think encouraging the thinking out loud part, right? Because as she does that more, she's going to be able to think inside herself when she has to make these decisions more independently. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type 1 diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. You feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talk's After Diagnosis coaching program. Designed just for parents like you, by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach, After Diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to diabetessweettalk.courses. The other thing is, 
legally, and I don't know if your daughter's in a public or private school, but certainly in a public school, legally, the school doesn't get to decide what she needs. You get to decide with your doctor what she needs. So you don't need to come up with an alternate proposal for what you want to present to the school. You get to say, if you want, like, this is actually the care that we believe Sophia needs right now. Our doctor agrees with us. If you need to go that far, sometimes people mm-hmm. do do get into a little bit of a, a like face off with their school. But this is what mm-hmm. we believe Sophia needs right now. We hear that you're concerned about that. We're not concerned about that. We think that this is a process where she needs to think out loud. And I wonder if the school's feeling overwhelmed just by the logistics of it which is something on some level you can partner with the school, right? But on some level, that's the schools to figure out. So I might suggest to you actually that you go back a few episodes ago. I had an episode from a caregiver at a school on the podcast and you might listen to that and even have your provider at the school listen to that, right? Because they need to recognize that you guys have the same goal, which is keeping Sophia safe. And that's a determination that you get to make about the best way to do that. How does that land? I think that that's great. I think they'll be open to a conversation. I think you're right. There's definitely a lot of overwhelm, you know, especially right now. Schools are just so swamped with kids with lots of needs and having busy lives and things like that. But I think that, yeah, they see this maybe as little bit as like something they can kind of shove off their plate, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is also, you know, doesn't feel great, but we can hopefully work with that. They're definitely loving and kind at heart. And I guess... I'll I'll have to listen to the episode to see what comes out of it because I think um I just think the caregiver might not know exactly what might be an intermediate step and so mm-hmm. hopefully that will help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think an intermediate step. Often parents starting in middle school start to text with their kid, so the kid is having that conversation mm-hmm. with the parent instead of the school. But again, mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessary. And it actually puts a tremendous burden on you in some way, right? To be much more available to her during the school day. I don't know if you're communicating with the caregiver anyway, during the day you might be, and you might cut out the middleman, but it also might be nice for Sophia to be talking to a person rather than having to be on her phone doing this thing that sort of takes her away in a different way from her school community. So that, again, I think that's up to you and something you can talk to the school about. And I might phrase it in terms of like what's developmentally needed for her right now, Mm -hmm. right? So that you do continue to get their support in a more robust way. Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like I have a good starting place to kind of, you know, go back and check in with them and see what we can do in the meantime, since we're definitely not ready. And I feel good knowing that the law is behind us and that we can really, um, (laughs) you know, advocate for her and know that we're doing the right thing for sure. Yeah. Always advocate. I mean, I think that if nothing else, you're showing her how to advocate for herself when the time comes eventually that she needs to do that for herself as well. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I worry about setting up an adversarial relationship with the person who is supposed to be giving her care and love and feeling supported if they're always going to be annoyed. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that worries me. And I know in their heart, they wouldn't be, but 
they've got a lot going on too. So I think this is a good approach to start and kind of team up, it sounds like is a good idea to figure out the right next step since we can't really just go drop it and go independently without school support. Yeah, I think that that's, I love that you're saying that. I I think some language you might think of wrapping around that thought is to lead with Mm -hmm. that caregiver by saying, I know we both have the same goal of keeping Sophia. Yeah. Right. And I, yeah. and I know that this is coming from a place of believing that um, she would be better off being more independent. And I have confidence that we're going to get her there. And I don't think she's quite ready, you know, so that yeah. you're, um, you're not sort of uh, leading from a place of questioning the school's motivation, right? And right, right. from a place of joining with them. Totally. That makes sense. And then, you know, just sort of as we look ahead and I'm thinking, you know, she's just started on her middle school journey in sixth grade, you know, do most kids by the time they're in high school do this independently? Is that sort of, I mean, it's probably somewhat individual, but like, is there something for a pretty solid kid who, you know, already wants to take some independence? Is that something we should be looking ahead toward to build toward in the next two and a half years or so? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think most kids by the time they get to high school do start doing much of it on their own. And I think it's a little variable, right? Like how much? So um, I just uh, was talking with another T1D mom of a junior who's not even on share anymore, getting Dexcom readings, right? That that feels like one end, right? And that's, I don't, think of that as necessarily good for that child. And even the kid's doctor was saying, this is a pretty big load. You might want to fold your parents back in. But I think by freshman year, like for my daughter, who is currently a freshman in high school, Mm -hmm. she does all her own dosing, but I do a lot of reminding because Mm -hmm. she doesn't actually remember and she doesn't always make the best choices. So I'm circling back later to say to her, Hey, what happened there? Or you know, or let's see if we can try to dose before lunch, because that's what the problem is, um, because there's less wraparound support. But yeah, by certainly mid high school, I think kids are doing much, if not most of it themselves. But again, I want to encourage you to follow the child in front of you, right? Like if you're seeing that Sophia needs X, then I would meet that need as best you can. Because those, again, she's going to carry this for a long time on her own. And I don't believe that children need to carry this on their own. We need to move them towards independence, but at the rate and pace that works for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And as a mom, it feels good because when you have more than one kid, you really see how different each of them is. And yeah. so, um, and you know, she's my only T1 kid, but we might make a totally different choice for my other child. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Different kid stuff. Thanks, Wendy, for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel so much better and ready to go in and take my chat with the school. (laughs) Good. Enjoy it. Email me and let me know how it goes. I will. And I really appreciate that language. I jotted it down because it makes so much difference for me to have something concrete. Thanks, Wendy. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register.